Hello and welcome to today's ILTA pre-recorded podcast panel entitled No One Talks About the F Word, Failing. I am your moderator, Natasha Tucker, the Director of Business Development Operations at Bennett Jones, and I'm joined today by Rachel Shields-Williams, Director of Knowledge Management Enablement and Insights, Sidley Austin, and Eric Feldman at Wigan and Dana. Thank you everyone for being here today. I'm looking forward to hearing your insights and learning from you. So let's begin by introducing ourselves and telling the listeners what we do. Eric, why don't you go first? Happy to. Yes, so my name is Eric Feldman. I'm the Director of Innovation and Knowledge Management at Wigan and Dana. We're based in New Haven, Connecticut, offices up and down the Northeast, try and get into New York as much as possible as well. Uh, I'm a former practicing lawyer. I started my own company a number of years ago, uh, really a depth of experience implementing systems and processes at law firm and very excited about <clears throat> just project and change management through a very busy year of legal tech that has occurred over the past 12 months and everything that's coming in the future. And Rachel, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Rachel Shields-Williams. I'm at Sidley Austin. We are um, a global firm. We have 21 offices across the globe um, and over 2,300 lawyers. And I support all things related to enabling our experience and data and enabling our larger technology initiatives, as well as um, the tracking and reporting to see if um, the behavior matches um, all the great stuff we're doing. Um, Natasha, thank you so much for having us here today. Um, I think it's such an important conversation for us to have. Um, you know, I think that you know, we were talking earlier that my career is littered with more failures than there will ever be successes. Um, but it is those moments that have made me a better leader, a better communicator. And I've just overall, you know, helped me grow and improve each day. Oh, excellent. I, I read from the notes that you describe yourself as a data maven. Um, I read it as data raven, and I was imagining giant blackbirds swooping in <laughs> with all the knowledge, but uh, <laughs> I read it's something very different. So uh, with that in mind, um, actually, Rachel, because you were talking, why don't we start with you? Tell me about your experiences with the first project or process that you implemented. Um, I think I'm going to piggyback off of, I'm going to pivot a little bit from my original plan and talk about exactly what you just said, a data maven, um, you know, as you go about a journey to become more data-driven and to present um, data as a strategy versus a byproduct um, in the legal space, you come across a lot of um, siloed information, a lot of disparate information, um, a distinct lack of documentation. And I think the first time I took a run at trying to understand more of the information um, that we don't own. Knowledge management doesn't own a ton of information. Um, it's owned by a lot of other groups. Um, and I came into it with the razzle-dazzle salesperson, like, isn't this amazing? And, you know, we work at a very collegial firm, so people nodded their heads and they're like, okay, Rachel. Um, but I never got a lot of traction. 
And it, it was kind of a stumper. It's like, why? Why don't people see this like big problem that we can solve and how we can make things better for ourselves and our lawyers? And it's so amazing. And, um, you know, I had to go back to the drawing board to figure out like how to get people on board. And um, I think I made one of the cardinal mistakes that all of us make when we're really excited about something. Um, I talked about it from a me perspective. And I thought I understood their problem versus stepping back and saying, tell me about your problem. Tell me what's hard to do today. Tell me what's hard about your data. Where are the points that you get frustrated? Just because I get frustrated that we have, you know, for example, at one point in time, our courts had multiple different naming conventions. You know what? To someone in accounting, that's not keeping them up at night. Um, so, you know, having that, that mistake of assuming that I knew what was best um, was a pretty, a big learning lesson for me. Wow, that sounds uh, interesting, that uh, lack of traction. I think we've all been there. Um, Eric, uh, can you share your experiences with the first project and processes that you implemented? And then, you know, uh, like Rachel, talk about any challenges that you found. Sure. And Rachel, you inspired me to go off script as well. I'm so glad we put together detailed notes just to ignore them completely five minutes <laughs> in. Uh, really I think that the thing that struck me about Rachel, what you were just saying is the narrow or not narrow. You didn't say that. I'm what I heard was a, a homing in on a narrow focus very quickly because I thought that's what should happen. Um, and in relation to actually across two different firms, similar build slash buy approach to uh, experience management and knowledge management systems, not talking to one another. And this dates back almost 10 years at this point between the two firms um, that I was at. And it was really moving from the siloed world of knowledge that was in people's heads to moving to a siloed world of knowledge that was in a specific department's databases to trying to crack those open and build an infrastructure to borrow some of that information and map it onto another system in a way that you saw it all across um, a, a single user experience, right? And I think that there's been huge gains in that entire arena over the past decade. But at the time, the two firms ago, um, we were building it ourselves and we had a very basic user interface, but I ended up in meetings with the finance team and with the marketing team and with the just any of the practitioners as well. And I was coming at it from a former, I had just moved from practicing into, I was in the BD group and I didn't have a clear mandate. It was just help us update all of our info. So I was just looking at every practices, tagging structures, workflows on how they were collecting information, chambers, you know, and asking for feedback on descriptions, rewriting pitch work. It was whatever someone needed me to do. And it turned into building an experience management platform. And then the next firm I went to, it was very much rolling out specific products to do just that. Um, I think the, the lesson challenges, and Rachel said the word communication, a lot of it was just, I came in with a, these values don't add up. We could fix that. And then the user is going, I genuinely don't care. You know, like that sounds a lot like a you problem. And that's true. Uh, it was a me problem. And between 10,000 temp tables and a lot of translation, we could try and get information to show up the same place. But 
the 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 roadblocks really were more about understanding not why the information needed to move from one place to another, but what impact it would really have on someone's day-to-day -day experience. And trying to shift to that was was difficult at first because I, I wanted all the boxes to line up. You know, I wanted all the methodology and taxonomy to be the same. And I thought that was the goal. But I think really the goal was, is it going to make someone's life better or easier or solve a specific problem? Because a general problem, still, I could chalk that up to, eh, systems are hard. But like a specific problem that's going to make someone's week or day easier. Um, and moving to that mindset took a little time. Yeah. And Eric, you mentioned something in there that really resonated with me was with all of these different stakeholders and all of these different processes. You know, I, I believe that everyone is well-intentioned and they want to help. Um, but sometimes the best way to help is to let the person in the process guide you. Um, you know, you don't have to rebuild the process as you're approaching these. And I think that's often a, another really common point of failing is like you, you get assigned to something and the idea is like, you must fix this. And you take on this ownership of like, I must be the one to resolve this issue. And you forget that there's all these people who've been living in the issue and if you talk with them and you create and hold space for an empathetic conversation that no one's making any mistakes, we want to make this better. We want to make, you know, we want to make things easier so you can have more time to fill in the blank of what you choose to do at that time. Um, but, you know, really listening to the users and keeping the users involved and not thinking that like, I'm the only one, um, you know, I think one of the really powerful things in legal, um, and actually in all kind of problem solving and process design and design thinking is the power of the group think. Um, you know, group think can get you in trouble. I'm not going to say that it's the end all be all. Um, but, you know, bringing a point of a, a collaboration and not being afraid to add people with different perspectives and not being afraid of coming up against some conflict or different points of view, um, I think can really help you create better processes and projects, but oftentimes we're afraid to do that until we've had a couple failures under our belt that it's like, oh, if I just brought this group along earlier, um, perhaps this wouldn't have been um, so painful. I can uh, totally sympathize and relate to this. And in the words or quote from A Field of Dream, um, if you build it, they will come. Well, they won't actually if yeah. you don't involve them and you don't ask them and you don't tell them. And those were some takeaways for me where uh, the lack of communication and the lack of collaboration, I think, with other teams is where I have failed in the past. But again, it's a good learning point. So I know that in future I won't be doing the same thing, won't be making those mistakes. This, uh, this leads me to my next point. Um, what do you think you've learned most? If you had to pick one thing you've learned um, most from all the things you've projects you've worked on and, and perhaps failed or didn't do so well, um, what what would you say was that one thing? Eric, you can go first. Yeah, we were waiting each other out to see what the one thing was. Uh, <laughs> it's, that's hard. That's hard to only pick one. I and I have a, a short list here, and I'm going to move to trust is everything. Uh, which I highlighted for myself, because I think it underpins all the other items. If you can build up the relationship with all those various stakeholders, if something is delayed, 
if something doesn't work quite right, if it doesn't work at all, if it's more expensive than you thought. I think if they trust that you have their best interests and the firm's best interests in mind and that you've done the work, like Rachel was saying, involving all these people along the way to have sometimes tough, sometimes this could derail my project type of conversations. Sometimes this is going to delay us a bunch of conversations. If you do that and people believe that you're working for them to achieve a specific goal, I think the the failure part or the iterative, I'll call it iterative improvement part, when something doesn't work at all and you have to change it, um, I think you can get away with a lot of those, hey, we're close, but, or we, we didn't quite get it done, but I think we can move to a different direction. And if they trust that you're working for them uh, and are listening, I think that is a lot easier to deal with. If you try and go it alone, which I've been guilty of in the past, and then it's not quite the adoption that you were hoping for, it's not quite the reception you were hoping for, or people think you're just peppering them with the new information they don't need. I think it's a lot harder to deal with any kind of setback, even if it's minor, because they're saying this person just keeps hitting me with information from the outside. They haven't won that that trust. So I'll, I'll go back to you. Trust is everything. Well, that's a great point. Um, Rachel, what are your thoughts? That's a really good one. It, it's kind of hard to follow up to that one. Um, it's a toss up for two for me. One is assume positive intent. Um, we work with a lot of different stakeholders to Eric's point about trust. I feel like the two of them um, are close concepts of just, you know, when things will go wrong, uh, things will not go to plan. And you have to, you know, bring yourself in every day and assume that like no one's out to get you, no one's out to make your project fail. Um, you know, assume positive intent in people's behavior. And um, along with that is that idea of um, staying open, staying open to ideas, staying open to feedback. Um, it's really easy for us when you're when you get really close to a project. It's really easy to shut down from some of the feedback that you get, because let's be honest, like we get a lot of it um, and it's easy to get worn down by it and, you know, kind of shut off from it. So it's staying open to that feedback, staying open to opportunities. Um, the world's moving so fast and technology is changing so fast. And many of these projects, no matter how fast um, our firms want us to move, they're long projects. They're anywhere from 12 to 24 months. Um, and some of them, <clears throat> like experience management, are um, in perpetuity. Like <laughs> the project's never going to end. Um, you know, different stages will end, but it will never end. Um, so, you know, making sure that you're staying open to changes in the market, changes in best practices, um, and, you know, staying open to feedback and different points of view, um, even when, you know, you kind of want to be like, all right, I've heard enough, I just want to get this done, because I'm definitely guilty of um, that behavior from time to time. <laughs> now, now, both of you have been doing this for, say, 10 plus years. Uh, one question I'd like to throw out there is that I know you've got the experience behind you, but do you find it easier now in today's environment with today's technology to do these processes and implement things than, than say, let's say 10 years ago with perhaps different outlooks for lawyers or whatever on, on projects and, and IT things? Um, I'll start with Eric. Interesting. It's all relative. I think the expectations have increased a great deal 
in, in let's say 10 years of what we could accomplish? Because people will point to what they see in the marketplace. They'll point to what they hear their competitors or clients or colleagues using at other firms or in-house. And I saw this cool thing, or I heard this on a webinar can turn into let's explore that type of project pretty quickly. And I think that the legal tech environment in general is a lot more developed and more people are actively involved in contributing information and feedback and using tools internally that aren't necessarily all practice delivery, but are often just knowledge sharing and um, infrastructure at, a, at, a, at firms in general. So I'll say as soon as you get out in front of it, the audience is going to catch right up and pass you and ask for more. Uh, and that's a great thing because that's that flywheel that, you know, once it starts spinning and every firm is going to be different. I think the walk, crawl, run is going to be different for each group, each firm, and it might be different by each practice area or which partner you're talking to. So I think the the second you think you know what the expectation is, increase it by 10 or 15% and uh, they'll just keep pushing it. And that's a great thing because it it means that everyone is getting better at adopting these types of process changes faster and getting more used to change in general in a way of setting you up for cooler projects in the future. And Rachel, what was your experience of kind of then versus now? I actually think now is a little bit harder. Um, I think it's harder because people look at the their Apple phone or Amazon and they're like, or Google, and they're like, why can't I have this exact experience? And it's like, oh my gosh, you don't appreciate the scale, the difference of scale. Um, but also the fact that technology and things are so much more interconnected. So I think a lot of the technology we're dealing with today is requiring us to unwind what we did 10 years ago, as well as satisfy these more sophisticated users. Um, and also, you know, I feel like a lot of the technology 10 years ago was about replacing something that already existed. So it was kind of like, oh, we're upgrading versus now I feel like a lot of the technology that's being deployed, we're fundamentally shifting the way people have worked and that's scary. Um, so I feel like there's a lot more change management, a lot more need to hold emotional space for the discomfort of changing things versus, um, you know, we're moving from a landline to a portable phone to a cell phone. Um, now we're moving from, you know, red lines to, you know, grammar, let's just use something in the market like Grammarly suggesting, um, do you want to rewrite that sentence? That sentence sounds confusing to your users. Like that's a little jarring. Essentially, you're getting feedback from your computer when you like it just used to be spell check. Um, so they're no longer just simple upgrades like, oh, spell check can now catch grammar. It's like, no, now it's going to question your actual whole writing style until it learns your voice. <laughs> um, so, you know, but I think it's a good change and I think it's a good challenge to Eric's point. Um, you know, that flywheel is finally happening where people are seeing technology. And so it's more a man managing the expectations and the um, and the and the fear and anxiety about the change. Like, is this going to replace me? Is this going to make lawyers irrelevant? Is it going to make knowledge management irrelevant? Like, you know, I feel like in the last year um, there's been an article of Gen AI will, you know, and fill in the role, you know, um, and I don't really think that's the case. Um, I think it'll just change the way the roles are, but that's still a lot of fear and uncertainty that you have to work with for your users. Well, this is this is all very fascinating. 
we've uh, we've gone from I would say failing to refocusing and uh, being insulted by computers uh, that <laughs> happens to me quite often to be honest um, to kind of change management and uh, and kind of expectations and meeting them that that's fine. Well, both of you have been given some some great insights. Um, I just want to ask, kind of again, what would your key takeaway be if you had to really summarize it as if you were talking to Jack? chat GBT, <laughs> um, what would be your takeaway from kind of failing and um, sort of iterations of, of processes? And that will be going to Rachel. Fail often, just don't repeat your failures. Excellent, Eric? I'll go back to trust being key, but with Rachel's extremely good necessary point that it's a two-way street and you should assume positive intent. And I think that everyone is trying very hard to do a great job in a high pressure environment that often demands perfection. Uh, uh, you know, if you have a comma out of place, that's not acceptable. So how dare you have systems that don't even talk to one another um, and data that's wrong everywhere? You know, it's a far cry. So uh, one extra note just on top of that, I think the law firms are in general, it's so many smart, driven people who figure out their own ways to do things in their lives, let alone in a professional setting that doesn't often um, always have resources and time for extra systems work and extra backend building. It's you can figure this out and then off you go, go figure it out. So asking them to change what they figured out is a big ask. Um, so working together to, again, build that trust in a two-way street, knowing that if you can get them to contribute to the process and they have some ownership, it makes that change pill a lot easier to, to swallow. Excellent. Well, I, for one, found this very interesting and insightful. I'd like to thank both my speakers, uh, Rachel and Eric, for joining me today and for their time. I hope those of you who will be tuning in to view this session later will find great value. And uh, thank you for listening and catch you next time. Goodbye.